I think that most people will say that they've learned more from their mistakes than they did from their successes, yet being wrong remains one of the most feared outcomes in life. In this podcast, I share lessons learned from mistakes that have helped me to become a more authentic version of myself. I believe that the key to personal growth starts with being okay with not always getting it right. My name is Lonnie Woods III, and this is What I Did Wrong. Is black excellence doing us more harm than good? Dictionary.com defines black excellence as a high level of achievement, success, or ability demonstrated by an individual black person or by black people in general. The term is often used to highlight and celebrate specific examples of such achievements and abilities. And in some cases, the term is used to refer to an aspiration or goal to be achieved or to a mindset used in the pursuit of such success. The term black excellence is sometimes used in discussions about the disproportionately high levels of work that black people must do and the abilities they must have to achieve the same success as white people as a result of the anti-black racism and oppression of white supremacy. Relatedly, the concept is sometimes discussed in critical contexts that point out that people who are considered to exhibit Black excellence often face unreasonably high expectations and standards, especially when they are held up as representatives of the entire Black community. In this way, anything less than excellence or perfection must be viewed as failure, creating an impossible standard. Such pressure is often discussed as being detrimental to the mental health and overall well-being. Embedded into the very fabric of our Black families and communities, Black excellence is both a source of pride and a silent burden. Black excellence has been celebrated as a testament to resilience and determination. However, beneath the surface lies a troubling truth which is the expectation that Black individuals must constantly perform at their highest levels to be deemed valuable. This notion, though, reduces us to commodities measured by our productivity rather than our humanity. It perpetuates the harmful idea that anything less than perfect is unacceptable. Denying us the freedom to embrace our nuances, our mistakes, our mediocre days, our complexities, our states of wondering or being confused, the complexities of us as individuals. In a society that often fails to recognize the inherent worth of Black lives, the pressure to achieve excellence can be suffocating leaving little room for authenticity or self-acceptance or diversity. And for me, the term Black excellence is complex. Growing up, it was a badge of honor. It was a culturally iconic phrase. It was a ritual. It was something to aspire to. It was a compliment. In a lot of ways, growing up, I saw Black excellence as a symbol of pride. People like Oprah and celebrities that would show these high levels of success in a very particular type of way. And in a lot of ways, Black excellence served as this middle finger to the things that white people said we couldn't do and the spaces that they said we couldn't go to or the places that were gatekept from us. 
So in a lot of ways, black excellence raised me. So I do have a hard time being critical of that phrase. It gave me hope that things get better as a little boy growing up in poverty in Baltimore, growing up around a lot of people who were not inspiring. Black excellence was inspiring. Seeing Carlton Banks live in Bel Air was inspiring. It was this idea that we don't have to stay stuck here and that we can do anything that we want that was really exciting, that there was more life out there to be lived. But over the years, I realized that with the beauty of Black excellence comes some ugly truths. Black excellence for many Black Americans, I think, is this 24-hour experience. It's these expectations that we have that apply to everything, our relationships, our appearance, the way we raise our children, our haircuts, our hairstyles must be perfect. Our outfits must be pressed. Our shoes must be new. They must be shiny. Our skin must be clear. You know, our words must be articulated perfectly. We must write everything down in workplaces so that if we ever get in trouble, that we have proof of what happened and what we did. We're always thinking about what's next. We're always planning. And what I realize is that Black excellence can really put you into a space of anxiety. And the anxiety that I speak of that comes from Black excellence, I think, is a byproduct of our perfection. It doesn't mean that we're not excellent. It doesn't mean that we're not great. It just means that because there is so much pressure for us to do so, it creates this unrealistic expectation for the ways that we live our lives. So we're often in situations pushing for perfection that's not real. And we find ourselves telling ourselves that we have to be faster and stronger and more resourceful and, and more, you know, excited and more you know, just happy. And oftentimes we show these things with no signs of vulnerability, which is inhumane. Nobody can go through life pursuing perfection without needing help at some point. Perfection is not something that's real. Excellence is real, but perfection is not. And I think that sometimes black excellence is kind of been synonymous with perfection. Black excellence seems to be about strength and power and resilience, and it is about making bold statements and radical changes and, and being political and, and being strong and being smart and being 10 steps ahead of everybody else and in a world that already sees us as inferior because of our skin color. This is a tall order. That is a heavy cross to bear most of the times, especially when we're in white spaces, which a lot of us are in at school and at work. And while historically the term and the ideology of black excellence probably served our ancestors well, I think it is time that we examine its impact on us and decide if we still need the term. And if so, how will we evolve it? How will we change it? How will we engage with it in this current time? I think that black excellence can be beautiful when we are celebrating each other in group, when we are basking in the beauty of who we are and not measuring our greatness based on who we're not. And we're not trying to grind our way into being valuable. We're not trying to hard work our way into being valuable. We're not trying to ladder climb the corporate ladder to be valuable. We're not trying to become celebrities in order to be seen as valuable. But if, if our black excellence truly stems from who we actually are and not us proving who we aren't, I think that that can be a beautiful way 
to be black and be excellent. We also have to be careful that we are not using the oppressor's language. And I think that this idea of black excellence came from uh, the, the historic times of us being so oppressed post-slavery that when we did integrate back into the world with desegregation and things like that, there was this desire to, uh, you know, have the lifestyle that white people had. And what I think that did is it created a certain resilience and confidence back then, but I think it's kind of lingered on and I think it's starting to do some damage to us in group. I think it's starting to create some elitist ideologies and some classism that we really have to examine as a black community. And I think what makes this idea of of uh, black excellence kind of difficult too is that there's these subgroups that come out of it like bouginess and this idea that you know wealth or or class in a certain way makes you better than someone else or makes you uh superior to your other black community members and I think that that does a, a lot of disservice in a lot of ways, I think black excellence does more sometimes to divide us than it does to unite us. It can separate us into those subgroups that I spoke of and seemingly make some of us feel like we are not worthy until we reach a certain status in life. And that totally just isn't true. And I think that's also a dangerous way to think as it pertains to how we view each other as black people. Black excellence takes so many shapes and forms, though. It's an ideology. It's a way of living. It's a pathology. In some ways, it's an affirmation. It's aspirational. It's inspirational. Sometimes it's a drug. Sometimes it's something that you can focus on and be addicted to, to kind of help you to get to the next level. And I think in a lot of corporate spaces, black excellence is a safety net. I know for myself, being excellent and being at the top of your game sort of helps you to put blinders on and helps you to feel safe in in a space that doesn't really accept you. And I think in a lot of situations, like I said, especially in those white professional spaces, black excellence helps us. It helps us to navigate those boardroom conversations and those microaggressions. I think us knowing that we're doing our best and that we're the top in our department that it gives us a sense of fulfillment. But what happens is, is that because we're devalued often in those spaces, it doesn't matter how hard we work or how excellent we are, we will still be given the short end of the stick. So a question that I've been asking myself recently is, what exactly does black excellence protect us from? I've asked myself this question a million times and I've yet to come up with any substantial answer because the truth is that black excellence does not protect us from anything oppressive, any system, any person, things like racism, things like colorism. These things, um, are we, we aren't protected from these things by being black and excellent, unfortunately. It does not separate us from all the other black people that are you know, looked at as, you know, some type of threat. So the white gaze does not lean more towards us because we're being excellent. And nothing made me question the lack of protection more than the 2009 case of Harvard professor Henry Louis Gates, who was a black professor who was arrested because he got locked out of his house in Massachusetts, I believe it was, 
And his neighbors called the police on him and he was arrested because he was basically trying to get into his own house. And in that moment, his degrees did not save him. It did not give him this sense of, of essence, or um, this essence of innocence. His connection to Harvard did not save him. Not that I'm saying that he thought that those things would save him. But what I'm saying is that our proximity to success, our proximity to, to greatness, our proximity to high levels of you know, achievement in this world do not protect us from oppressive systems. Speaking of Harvard, just a few months ago, Harvard's first black female president, Claudine Gay, resigned after plagiarism allegations with some of her scholarly work, as well as her response to a question about student conduct as it relates to the war in Israel and the genocide. And in an op-ed to the New York Times after her resignation, Gay wrote this. The campaign against me was more, was about more than one university and one leader. This was merely a single skirmish in a broader war to unravel public faith in pillars of American society. Campaigns of this kind often start with attacks on education and expertise because these are the tools that best equip communities to see through propaganda. But such campaigns don't end there. Trusted institutions of all types, from public health agencies to news organizations, will continue to fall victim to coordinated attempts to undermine their legitimacy and ruin their leaders' credibility. For the opportunities driving cynicism about our institutions, no single victory or toppled leader exhausts their zeal. And baby, the target that she mentions is one that I am too familiar with. Being the first black or the only black or one of few black people in white spaces is no honor. It is often a trap a trap filled with ill-equipped people and ill-equipped systems with a lack of cultural competence that makes you feel contentious and it makes it difficult to navigate this place that once welcomed you, this place that you worked so hard to get to. You see, Black excellence raises us up to high heights and drops us down really low like the inertia felt when a roller coaster goes up really high and then falls down to the bottom. But the ride on this journey, it, going to the top, it's exciting, but the drop is terrifying and it's lonely. And that's what black excellence does to us. If we don't reframe how we look at our value, especially if our value is connected to being the first to do something. I remember when Beyonce did Beachella at Coachella, she was the first black woman to headline Coachella. And I remember her saying something at the beginning to the effect of like, ain't that some shit, right? Like, that's not something to be excited about in 20 in the and you know, the 2000s that, you know, this is the first time it's been happening. Coachella has been happening for so long. So I think we have to really question sometimes when we get excited about a black person being the first black person to do something, because it's often not exactly what it looks like it is. 
I think we have the responsibility with this notion of black excellence that we have to make sure that we are not too narrow with what our definition of it is and that we're not using the oppressor's language to distinguish who is a good Negro and who is a bad Negro. And we have to really make sure that we are going to pursue excellence in a way that is not harmful to our community and that our excellence is not hinged on the standards of whiteness, but submerging the beauty of blackness and focusing on the beauty of blackness and coming from a space of abundance and not from a place of lack. And oftentimes, that is what we do. We criminalize people who are, you know, working class or who aren't succeeding, or who didn't go to college and all these other things, people who have troubled past and people in, in, that are marginalized in our community. And we romanticize and uplift those who we deem as valuable or celebrities or politicians and athletes. And we deem them as respectable and we deem them as you know, this this sort of like a better version of a black person, the one who is working hard. And oftentimes when we do this, uh, it, it beats us down literally and figuratively in the workplace. Uh, we have police brutality beating us down, all these systems working against us. So the list goes on and on around, you know, how black excellence can be harmful. But again, I want to say that it comes from a place that is good. I think that ultimately it comes from a good place, but it's our responsibility to sort of look at it and figure out what we want it to be. And I know that Black excellence is this pursuit of perfection and this high level engagement that oftentimes is killing us. And um, it's just so important that we take off the cape. I think that black excellence sometimes serves as a cape for us. It is this thing that we use that we go into situations and we want to save everybody and we want to change everything and we want to prove every everything and prove our worth. And I think it's important for us to really resituate and reframe what black excellence means to us. It's Black History Month. This is a great time to do it. And as we think about the new generations of children coming up, how will we communicate, if at all, black excellence to them? What will it look like? And how will we give them the tools, not just to exceed at high levels, but the tools to understand who they are because who they are is excellent just because of who they are, not because of what they do, not because of what they achieve. So what I did wrong was that I took black excellence as this idea of something to be so proud of that I was working overtime to sort of find my way into this idea of heightened success. And I was grinding my way to the top and I thought that black excellence would protect me from something. But what I've learned is that black excellence does not serve as a protector. Black excellence is like running on a hamster wheel over and over and over again or a treadmill. And you're running really fast, but you're not moving anywhere because it's coming from a space where you're comparing yourself to something that you'll never achieve, something that you don't even want to achieve. And so with that, I say, I hope that all of my black listeners out there know that your excellence does not come from how much money you make, how famous you are, or what your level of education is, but your excellence is a birthright. Love is a birthright. And with that, I say, be black, be proud, and be excellent. Thank you. 
Thank you for tuning in to another episode of What I Did Wrong. My name is Lonnie Woods III, and as always, I thank you for listening. Please follow us over on Instagram at What I Did Wrong Podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, I leave you in love, peace, and style. And remember that mistakes are essential to reach your full potential.